We are in the book of Hebrews, uh, so want to turn to Hebrews. If you, don't, if you haven't already, it's page 1001 in the Bible that is supplied for you there in the chair. Uh, and love for you to turn with, with me to this passage, um, doing sort of one-off messages that is like not in it really any series. We'll get into Joshua, back into our Joshua series next week. Uh, sometimes poses a challenge to me uh, because there's, there's so much in Scripture. What is it that you speak on? But um, I've been reading through the book of Hebrews for the last few months, and uh, the Lord just kept directing my attention to this passage as I've meditated on it. Uh, and so uh, hopefully will be an appropriate uh, uh, passage here as we get into the new year. But before we, um, before we get into the text, let me read it for us, then let me pray, and, uh, and then we'll, we'll get into our sermon here. I'm going to only read the first four verses. I know John read all of, all of chapter 1. Uh, but we would be here a lot longer than we have time for if we covered that much. So we're going to cover about the first three or four verses here this morning, but gives you a little context uh, there as uh, reading through the end of that chapter. But let me read the first four verses. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purifications for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. Would you bow with me in prayer here this morning? Father, here we are. Another year has passed. Another year, as we look back, filled with the same brokenness as the year before and the year before that. Whether it's sicknesses that we experience or just relational brokenness in our own lives, or we turn on the news and we hear of wars and the war in Ukraine still going on, the war in Israel that just recently started. And we, we pray for those nations, of course. We pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ that live in those nations and are experiencing the effects of those, uh, those, those battles and that fighting We pray for their protection. We pray that they would be bold gospel witnesses where you've placed them and that we would would continue to lift them up in prayer and, and help as we're able. We hear of rebellion, rebellion in our own nation as we continue to reject your word, reject your law in our own lives as a nation and really are seemingly on a fast track to, to ruin. We know that as a, as a country, as even our leaders, Father, do not seem to want to follow after you. And though we have advanced greatly in technology and material possessions, we, 
We have yet to find wisdom, true wisdom, which begins with the fear of the Lord. And year after year, it's the same brokenness. And yet year after year, it's also the same gospel, the same good news that we come to, that we rest in, that Jesus has stepped into the brokenness, what we just celebrated at Christmas time, and he has become broken for us. And so we're here today because you have changed, I trust that you have changed our hearts from being a rebel to being a friend. That you have changed our hearts from warring against you to joining you in the battle to bring the gospel, to spread your kingdom to the ends of the earth. And so would you lead us this morning to the good news? Would you lead us in the good news of Jesus Christ as we open your word here today. Give Adam, Rachel, and the kids a great time away. Uh, Help them to come back refreshed. We pray for our kids' ministry as well, the teachers in there, that you would help them to communicate to young hearts uh, what Jesus has done for them and for us. It's in his name we pray all these things. Amen. Resolutions. Aren't they wonderful things? They feel good when you make them. Even though you probably realize that somewhere along the line, you're not going to follow through with what you resolved to do at the start of the year. But resolutions are helpful in this way because we usually make resolutions about something we need to be doing, something that needs to change in our lives, something that we need to stop doing in our lives. And so resolutions can be helpful even at times when we don't follow through with them because they help us identify what we need more of in our lives. And so here's what I want to do before I really continue to talk for the next however many minutes. Uh, Grab a pen if you don't have one, and I just want to take 15, 20 seconds and write down Something that you need more of in 2024, as this year, as the calendar is about to change, and just think for a moment and jot down one, two, whatever comes to your mind, what do you need more of this coming year? Maybe you're still writing, and that's fine, but whatever you wrote down is most likely not a bad thing, something that will probably, in your mind, improve your life. Uh, Many people start the new year saying they want to lose more weight. And so we would say, well, if I want to lose more weight, I need more discipline in my, my eating and my exercise, okay? But maybe, maybe weight isn't your concern, But you need more patience in your life. Or you need better time management, which means what? You need more structure to your schedule and more discipline in in the, the way that you're spending your time. Maybe you need more control over that device that you hold in your hand a lot. Or you need more money. You have financial issues and you need more help with budgeting. 
or more joy or more peace or more time with family. It could be any number of things that you wrote down. Maybe you didn't write down anything at all. You just you were coming up empty. What do I need more of? But here's why I love God's word, because it, it, it not only reveals who God is, but it exposes our hearts and it, and it helps us to see what we need. And in God's grace, he's given us a written word that tells us exactly what we need. So we don't need to guess. We don't need to, uh, to, to figure it out on our own. We don't need to look to the culture for answers to that question of what we need more of. And, and just as a side note, the culture is telling us what we need more of every single day. You need more individualism, you need more tolerance, you need more education, or you need more money or equality, or even personal freedom. But here the author of Hebrews, writing 2,000 years, almost 2,000 years before 2024, tells us what we need more of every single day, especially in this coming year. We need more of Jesus. Now, I hope your first reaction to that statement was, wasn't, yeah, I know that, but can you give me something more practical? Can you give me something to help with the thing that I, I wrote down on my paper or I was thinking in my mind? Well, here's, here's the reality of those things, though. Anything that you wrote down that you needed more of in 2024 will be answered when you get more of Jesus, Because you can resolve to grow in the greatest of character traits, but if you achieve those things without Jesus, they will mean nothing and will ultimately lead you to greater life problems. Let me give you an example. Maybe you said, boy, I need, I have a struggle with time management, okay? That's something that, that in my own personal life I've struggled with at times and I've heard from other people, like, I just need to get a handle on my time. And so you want more structure to your busy schedule. We're all, we're all busy. And it's a good thing to have structure. So you come up with some ways that you can manage your schedule better and you accomplish this and it, and it works. And the 2024 you is more efficient, uh, more productive, and it feels great to, to accomplish more things. But what do you think is going to happen when your schedule gets interrupted, which will happen? Most likely, you're going to get annoyed. You're going to get angry. You're going to get rigid with your time. This is my time. You're going to really be consumed with self. And so you've just created a whole host of other character problems, even though you seemingly solved one big problem that you thought. But when we get more of Jesus, he will reprioritize our thinking and help us to structure our lives in a way that's built around him and others, not just ourselves. There's a difference. He will teach us that our time, our time, is actually his time And it's to be used for however he wants. That's just one example of what I mean, that whatever you wrote down, the ultimate thing that you need is more of Jesus, and he will will work out the details in helping you in those things. And so the book of Hebrews, as we come to it, is just an amazing book. As I've been meditating on it and reading it, uh, these first few verses have really... Uh, stood out to me. It's the opening of a letter that is going to expand into 13 chapters of why Jesus is supreme and sufficient for your life. 
And it's in these verses that we're giving, given some key truths about Jesus, that is doctrine, that will, will cause you to pursue him and will ultimately leave you changed. Your greatest need in 2024 is more of Jesus. And he can never stop being your pursuit. So, that's what I'm, I'm arguing to you today. You need more of Jesus in 2024. Why do you need more of Jesus in 2024? Here's our, we're going to look at three truths about Jesus that are going to answer the que- this question. And then we're going to make some fairly, I think, fairly obvious ac- applications for each of those truths. Why do you need more of Jesus in 2024? Number one, Jesus is the word of God. Look at those first two verses. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. And so the very first verse, our minds are directed back to the past. God is speaking, when God is speaking to his people or God's speaking to his people, it's nothing new. And when we think about speaking, communicating like that, it is essential for any sort of meaningful relationship. If you've ever spoken to anyone that doesn't speak English, speaks a different language, there's a language barrier. We talk about that. But it's not just a language barrier. There's a relational barrier. Because how, how much can you really know that person unless you can communicate with them and communicate with them well? But here we're told that long ago, God spoke. So we have a huge truth about God right here. God, through his speaking, is a relational God. He's not a distant God that doesn't care about his creation. No, just the very fact that he spoke means that he is relational. And all throughout history, we find God speaking to his people. So he doesn't just speak once. In fact, what does the text say? At many times and in many ways. God used a variety of methods to speak to his people at different points in times. One primary way that the author uh, here points out is through the prophets. Now the word prophet literally means to speak forth. Like that was the prophet's job, to speak the word of God to the people. But we also can think of other ways. God spoke to people. He spoke sometimes directly where they would hear the voice of God. He spoke through angels. He spoke through dreams and visions. He even spoke through a donkey in Numbers 22. If you don't know that story, jot down Numbers 22. But the point of verse 1 is that God has been speaking. He has not been silent. From long ago, he has been speaking to his people. And you see that all the way back in Genesis chapter 3 and even beyond where God speaks to his first created people, Adam and Eve, and gives them commands and then is speaking to them in the garden. And that continues. Verse 2 then tells us that God has spoken in these last days. Days. So God is still speaking today, but notice the contrast. You have long ago and in these last days. Now, a couple weeks ago, I know Pastor Adam mentioned in, in that Revelation 12 series that we are in the last days. That is accurate. 
The Bible does speak of a last day, the day of judgment, which will come at the end of the last days. But the last days began the moment that Jesus ascended to heaven after his resurrection. Believers have been looking for Jesus' return ever since that moment. You you read through the New Testament and Paul is talking to the Thessalonians and others that that look for Jesus, he will return. They, They were expecting him at any moment and yet he still has not come. But today, nothing is keeping Jesus from returning. We're not waiting for anything else. But here as we wait in the, in the sense of for Jesus to come, God has spoken to us. And he's spoken to us by something, by someone greater than a, just a prophet. He has spoken to us, the text tells us, by his son. And this is what we just celebrated last week, the incarnation of God. God becomes his creation. Jesus took on flesh. And in that taking on of flesh, God was speaking to us. What better spokesman for a father than a son? Particularly, as Jesus will tell us in John chapter 17, a son who is one with the father. They are united. They they think the same. They act the same. They have the same plan. They're united in heart and in mind. And this is the way that God has chosen to speak to us through his son. Jesus is the greatest and the final word from God. It's it. And I can think of a couple of religions that are built on the foundation that, that believes that there is another prophet who has come and spoken after Jesus. It's not the case. In fact, when you read this, this passage, the indication is that in these last days and until these last days are complete, God's word comes to us through his son. Maybe you say, well, Pastor Dennis, talking about God speaking, but sometimes it feels like I can't hear God speaking. And I I know what that feels like. Like God's voice feels distant. You don't Like, Lord, are you still there? I've been praying to you. I'm even reading your word, but it's just kind of dry, and I I don't feel like I hear you. But but can I just, maybe this is too simplistic. This is on us, not on God. God is and has been speaking. And we we certainly want to uh, ask him to make his voice clear in our lives, but God has clearly communicated to us through his son, and that continues today. But, but, but here's the reality. It's not easy to hear God when life is tough, when culture is speaking loudly at you, when your own heart and mind, which are not neutral, are speaking at you. For some of us, we get trapped in our own thoughts and we just cycle them over and over in our head. But if you want to hear from God, you must Listen to Jesus. Of course, Jesus no longer lives on this earth. But he is the central focus of God's written word. 
So maybe we don't hear his voice audibly, but we come to the scriptures. And and as John said, uh, as he read this passage, the book of Hebrews, but the whole of scripture is pointing to Jesus Christ. He is the living word about which the written word has been given to us. Hebrews quotes many Old Testament passages that point us to Jesus Christ. So listening to Jesus means that you come to the Word with Jesus-focused glasses, that that we would uh, see the commands that, that He has written, that He has given to us, and we believe that all that He says is true, and that every one of His commands is worthy of our obedience. You know, I don't know if you noticed in the bulletin, but in, in just a couple of weeks, we're going to be baptizing three individuals. And in talking with, with each of them, really, but one in particular, uh, I, I asked the question, um, you know, why do you want to be baptized? And their, their answer was something along these lines. Well, I guess, I, I just feel like since Jesus told me to do it, then I should do it. What a great answer. Boy, it, I wish I responded like that more to the commands of Jesus every time that I heard them. Jesus tells me to do it, so I just need to do it. You see, listening is not listening unless there's obedience. And you can't listen to Jesus apart from being in his word that reveals him to us. And so we ask a natural question to ourselves at this point. Who am I listening to? Am I listening to the world? Am I listening to my my own heart, my feelings, my traditions? I brought up baptism. Maybe regarding baptism, we are listening to the poor American theology that says baptism isn't essential to salvation, so therefore it's optional. You will never Read the word optional with baptism in the commands of Jesus. Maybe you're listening to a culture that says, you know what, it's okay, it doesn't matter if I skip worship on a Sunday to do the things that I enjoy doing, my personal activities. Maybe you bought into the lie that listening to yourself, listen to your heart, I think there's a song about that, right? Maybe you have to be 50 or older to know that one. I don't know. But listening to yourself is the way to live. That's what we should be doing. Or maybe you don't even know how to listen because the pace of your life is so frantic that you have no time to consider the voice of Jesus. And you might say, Pastor Dennis, this this just sounds a bit rigid and even legalistic. And listen, the last thing I want to communicate is legalistic obedience, which is often extra-biblical rules and always obedience to earn standing with God. It's not out of a heart of love for what Christ has done. So I don't want to communicate legalistic obedience, but what I do want to communicate is that when Jesus gives clear commands, they are to be obeyed by his followers. And if we're not willing to obey him, then maybe we should stop identifying as his follower. 
So resolve this year to find ways to listen to Jesus more for he is the word of God. Number two, Jesus is not only the word of God, but Jesus is the power of God. You see there in verse number two and three, but half of that. So after he says, in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. So verses 1 and 2, you have, uh, they, 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 the way that they're laid out, it's, it's like a parallel. God has spoken by the prophets, verse number 2, and God has spoken by his Son. And so you have these parallel statements, but the role of the prophet ends as the spokesman for God. Whereas the role of the son continues into verse number two. So he's not just spoken by his son. God, that, that means verses two and three really point to Jesus not just being God's way of communicating to us. He's not just the word, but he is the very power of God. So Jesus isn't just communicating to us through words. He's communicating God to us because of what he has done and because of who he is. And that's how we're going to break down this point. First of all, what he has done, and I guess you could even say, and is still doing. First of all, it says he is appointed heir of all things. The father has appointed his son heir of all things. Literally, it's heir of all. It just stops. Anything that you can think of, he is the heir of. And it's in these last days that God the Father is bringing all under the rule of his son Jesus. And there is coming a future day when the inheritance of all will be given to Jesus. However, the power of God in Jesus isn't just seen in this, in, in, it's not just a future event waiting to be happened. Like he, he's appointed the heir and that hasn't come yet. But notice the next phrase, through whom also he created the world. So the power of God is not just a future thing that's to come, but it's actually something that has already happened because Jesus is the means by which God the Father created the world. This tells us that Jesus existed in the long ago of verse number one, when God spoke long ago. Jesus already existed. He has always existed. And so from creation, what, what, what are these phrases even telling us? From creation to the end, the world is moving for Jesus Christ. Boy, that will change your life perspective, won't it? The world's not moving for you. The world is moving for him. And even now, as he created the world and he is heir of all things, the next phrase says he upholds the universe. The word there, the ESV at least translates universe, but it's literally all. It's actually the same word as heir of all things or heir of all. He upholds all. And for an omnipotent God, his word is his power. He speaks and it happens. 
I can't even do that with telling my kids to do things. It just happens. But he speaks and things are just created and reordered and upheld and sustained. And so the power of God is on display through Jesus in the creation and the sustaining of our world today. But God's power in Jesus is not only seen through what he has done and what he is doing, but through who he is. This is verse number three. He is the radiance of the glory of God. This is the only time this word radiance is used in the Bible. But there's a tie-in into the creation events. Think about the first act of creation. Does any, you remember what that is? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without void and form. But the very first act of creation, God said, let there be, anybody? Light. Before the sun ever was, light shined forth. Where did that light come from? Well, it is the very glory of God that was shining at creation. And Jesus is now described as the radiance, the brightness, or the shining light of the glory of God. And we know from God dealing with Moses back in Exodus 33 and 34 that no one can look and live at the fullness of God's glory. But then we remember John chapter 1 and verse number 14. The Word, who is Jesus, who became flesh and lived among us. Do you remember what John tells? And we beheld his glory. The fullness of God's glory can be seen in the person of Jesus Christ, in this one who became flesh and lived among us. And it's the power of God's glory on which no one can look, but it can be seen in Jesus who was veiled in flesh. Jesus is not just reflecting the brightness of God's glory. He's not, he's not just reflecting it like God has the glory, but Jesus reflects it. No, Jesus is the brightness, the radiance of God's glory. And you notice the next, the next phrase, which helps us even more understand this, and he is the exact imprint of his nature. The nature of a person is what's on the inside. So Jesus here, this, this verse is teaching us, Jesus is not just pulling the wool over our eyes and with some kind of sleight of hand making us think he's better than he really is. No, Jesus really, truly is all that he claims to be. He is the exact imprint of the nature of God. And what the Hebrew listeners would have thought of is, is most likely a coin being imprinted on an image. And in those days, the way that they would mint coins in, in the Roman culture, you would have a press that have, would have a, an engraved image on each side, and they would slide a, a sheet of metal of some sort in there, and they would push it down, and then it would be pounded on with a hammer until that imprint was made. But whatever uh, was on the top or the bottom of that, of that, that image would then be imprinted on that coin. It would portray that coin or that, those, those images. Jesus is the imprint of God. In other words, if you want to know what God is like in every way, look at Jesus. Look at him. 
his love, his humility, his mercy and grace, his holiness, his anger, his judgment, and we could go on and on. But if you want to know what God is like, look at Jesus. You know, oftentimes we think of the glorious power of God and we, we tend to think of that power in creation and sustaining the world, the things that we're talking about, or conquering his enemies. However, his greatest display of power that Jesus ever made was when he went to the cross. Without a word, in complete humility, like a lamb in obedience to his father, saying no to sin, saying no to the temptations of Satan. And it's at the cross that the glory of God shines brightly even as our sin is laid on Jesus because he displayed the very nature of God in both his life and his death. So all that God is can be found in Jesus Christ. You know, as you read the, 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 the book of Hebrews Hebrews, the author, unknown. Some speculate Paul, some others, but we, we just really don't know. But they're writing to believers who, had, who have a tendency uh, of just struggling in their Christian life. They're going through trials. By the end of Hebrews, they're probably going to be persecuted is, is what the, the author is encouraging them to face. But the author of Hebrews knew the tendency of struggling believers was to get their eyes focused on everything but Jesus. Which why you get to chapter 12, and you probably know this verse, many of you well. Chapter 12 and verse number two, looking to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. And this is easier said than done because the, the tempter, the red dragon that we've been talking about in Revelation chapter 12 is seeking to destroy and to distract. He will tempt you as he tempted Eve in the garden to doubt God's goodness and even doubt God's power. Remember, if you remember back in the garden before Eve took of the fruit, the Bible says that she saw that the tree was good for food and it was a delight to her eyes. She lost her focus. And so much like we asked in the previous point, who or what am I listening to, we must ask ourselves, what am I looking at? Am I looking at the power of the other nations around us and always on edge about whether China or someone else is going to take us over? Am I looking at the power of Satan as our world seemingly gets darker and darker? Am I looking at the powerlessness of myself in the battle of sin? Am I looking at the perceived successes of those around us who don't believe and so often we hear the tempter say things like, fear that. Or you'll never overcome this sin. Or do you think God is really good if he allows that circumstance to continue in your life? And the only way to combat these temptations is to keep our eyes on Jesus. And you say, well, how do we keep our eyes on Jesus when he's, he's not walking with us? Again, most obvious, we have a book that points us to Christ. These, the pages of Scripture are written so that, so that our, our, our hearts and minds would be drawn to our Savior 
from, be, from the beginning to the end. And so we bring our minds uh, to the person of Jesus Christ and to the work that he has done for us on the cross, having a gospel-centered mind. But we also see the power and the glory of God in our world today in this way. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse number 27, Paul writes this to the Corinthians, Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. So it's in the church, the body of Christ, that, that, that God's glory shines brightly in this world. You want to see Jesus, and if I can say it like this, in kind of a tangible way. You're sitting in a room with many other believers who are part of the body of Christ, the visible body as he has ascended, but he has filled his people with his spirit. In fact, in the next letter to the Corinthians, Paul continues a similar thought here in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. The glory of God, he says, he teaches us that, that, that was seen by Moses under the old covenant has been surpassed by the glory of Christ in the new covenant. And so all who put their faith and trust in Christ are part of the new covenant people of God. And here's what 2 Corinthians 3.18 says. And we all, with unveiled face, so remember Moses had that veil? We all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. You see Jesus in your brothers and sisters within this church body. You see his power at work in transforming their life to look like his. You see, you see him as the, those brothers and sisters, you serve alongside of them and they are proclaiming the gospel to those around. So in a very practical way, if you struggle to see Jesus, get around his people more. That's, that's one of the, the, the heartbeats of our connection groups, which we happen to have signups for, even now coming into the new year. That you can be around other believers who gather in small groups. You can see what God's teaching his people. You can see how they're wrestling with sin and confessing sin. You can see how the gospel is at work. Resolve this year to find ways to see Jesus more. For he is the power of God. Number three, and our final point here today. Jesus is the word of God. He is the power of God. He is the work of God. You see the end of verse 3 there. After making purification for sins. Think about that phrase. He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. We've already mentioned that we see the glory and the power of God shining brightly at the cross. And it's here in this verse, we see Jesus not merely accomplishing the work of God, but we see him as the work of God. From the beginning to the end, Jesus is the work that God is carrying out in this world. Every other prophet, to some degree, carried out the work of God that God had called them to do. But they weren't the work of God. They were pointing to the work. 
They were pointing to Jesus, the one who would come. And so Jesus, now he had to be God in order to go to the cross and to accomplish what verse 3 tells us he accomplished after making purification for sins. Do you realize everything that's packed into that phrase? Human hearts stained with the vilest of sin and rebellion. So wicked that, e- that only the, through God's intervention would we ever turn from our sin. Human righteousness that is like filthy rags, the prophet Isaiah tells us. But here, when it says at the, after he has made purification for sins, he is pointing to the cross and it's at the cross, the stain of sin and all of its vileness was completely removed. Hardened hearts were softened to draw near to God. Filthy rags became shining white garments. The word purification here means, means to cleanse or to wash clean. And purification was a big deal in Judaism. The Jewish people... It was a big part of their religious practices. Something they really had to do over and over and over and over and over. Tired of me saying over? That's what it was like though. But here in the work of Jesus, he cleansed every stain of sin And he sat down. It's finished. His work is complete. Never again is there a need for a sacrifice. No other cleansing for sin needs to happen. Jesus made purification for sin. And it tells us that he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. In other words, he has taken his position as king. So Jesus wasn't just sent to speak for God. The prophets could have kept doing that. And he isn't just sent to display some powerful acts. The prophets even did that at some times. He is the very work of God sent to make purification for sin once for all and then to be exalted as king, as heir of all. Don't overlook this phrase. Because our greatest need is to be cleansed from our sin. Our greatest joy is to be cleansed from our sin. That our sin does not stain our hearts any longer. It does not separate us from God anymore. And there is only one way for separation to be undone and to be brought back right with God. And it's actually, I'm going to take uh, Hebrews 10, 11, and 12 will be on the screen for you. And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly over and over the same sacrifices. Notice this phrase, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. I just ask a simple question to you today. Have you experienced this cleansing work of Christ? Have you trusted in him for your salvation and seeing yourself as a sinner 
and the work that he has done for you is enough to cleanse you from your sin. I, I pray that you have, but even if you have, can I ask this question too? Do you experience this work of Christ? It's not a one and done experience. The work of Christ is complete, yes, a single sacrifice for sins, but we experience it as often as we sin and confess that sin and receive that forgiveness once again. When is the last time, even as a Christian, you confessed your sin and sought God's forgiveness on the basis of the work of Christ? I, I have to slow myself down because I can acknowledge my sin. Yep, I shouldn't have done that. But have I confessed my sin? See, 1 John chapter 1 and verse number 9 Many of you know this verse well too. If you confess your sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Who was that written to? That was written to believers. This is for us to experience. And so I wonder for many a Christian if the experience of cleansing for sin is something that's way in the past of their life. It lies somewhere in the history of their lives but it makes little or no impact here in the presence. If you have a beating heart today, you have sin that needs to be cleansed. And all of this is just written for us to experience. More of Jesus is not just listening and, and seeing, but it's experiencing de- him deeply as the sin of our heart is removed and we're made right with God. And this cleansing experience leads to all sorts of emotions, joy and love and peace. In fact, all the Christmas emotions that we we talk about wanting. But it also leads to rest. You notice when Jesus sits down, when he sits down at the right hand of God, it implies rest. And Jesus invites us to experience an eternal rest. So much so that the author of Hebrews in chapter 4 is going to talk more about that rest and tie it in with Joshua and all that happened in the book of Joshua. So if you want to start reading through Hebrews, that would even prepare you as we re-engage in the series of Joshua. You know, there's a museum that came to my mind as I was thinking about this whole sermon. It's kind of an odd thing to come to your mind. But in Philadelphia, there's a museum called the Please Touch Museum. And if you've ever been to a museum before, like a normal museum with like uh, sculptures and things, and kids are there, and you're constantly telling them, don't touch that. You know, or they have the ropes that are set up, and they don't want you. You can look at it. You can see it. Maybe you could even hear something, but you can't really experience it. You can't get up close. But this is a museum that invites you to touch it, to play with it, to experience it. You don't have to stand at a distance and imagine, it, imagine what it's like. And that's how I read these opening verses of Hebrews. They're not just true words that we agree, yep, I agree, yep, let's move on in my life. No, it's an invitation to experience the work of God, which is Jesus Christ. So here we are on the verge of a new year, and we want to know how to live, and we want to know what needs to be changed in our lives. Maybe we need to do better with anger, or parenting, or marriage, or attitudes, or whatever the case might be, but we don't need more 
just more tips on better living. We need more of the perfect one, the God-man, Jesus, who is human as God designed us to be. Like the way Jesus lived in perfection, that's how Adam and Eve were created. That's how we were designed to live. And as that human, Jesus is better than all the others. So if you take six words with you into the new year, here would be my, my, encourage, my, my six words of encouragement. Listen, see, and experience more of Jesus. We need to listen to his words. We need to see his power. We need to experience his work more than ever in 2024. And it would be easy to nod your head in agreement. So let me challenge you to spend some time with the Lord and then your spouse or your parents or your children and consider some specific ways that you can make more of Jesus a reality this coming year. Let's pray.